0: Stand on stage, Charles, take a chill and On stage, to chill On stage, Charles, to a chill and
1: We welcome Ash Pal and her band to the stage of the Phoenix Theater. (laughs) Ash's lyrics are thoughtful reflections that explore the interwoven feelings of loss and joy. And tonight, we'll explore what she's put of herself into this music. And after that, she'll play with this band a set of it. Please welcome to the program, Ash Pal. Welcome.
2: Thank you, Jim, Tom. This is so fun. Thanks for having us.
1: We're thrilled to have you. Before you started performing, tonight uh you uh, you asked me what the meaning of life was in sort of a fun bantery way and i said well when I we get to the serious. when we get to the interview we'll deal with that but first we have to do the performance because we record the songs before the interview anyway uh you shared with me a quote from the count of monte cristo by <laughs> alexander dumas so, and um you two were having a debate between the <laughs> performance and the interview and when i say you two i say rob and i say ash so i'd like to read that quote and then i like to give you both a chance to debate this. Um, and, you know, we're just starting the episode in a light way, in a fun way. So here's the quote. It's a uh, it's a real thinker. Uh, it goes as follows. There is neither happiness nor misery in the world. There is only the comparison of one state with another, nothing more. He who has felt the deepest grief is best able to experience supreme happiness. We must have felt what it is to die, Morell, that we may appreciate the enjoyments of life. Live then and be happy, beloved children of my heart, and never forget that until the day God will design to reveal the future to man, all human wisdom is contained in these two words, wait and hope. Who would like to go first?
3: That is a lot, Ash. (laughs) Take it away.
2: Well, to start with, I think everything's relative, right? I mean everything uh, puts you know everything else into perspective I think without feeling despair you don't really have a uh, sense of what joy is Um, and I think in general uh, maybe because I tend towards extremes but (coughs) I think every extreme you know feeling gives gives way to um, being able to feel the opposite Um, it's kind of like, like a sine cosine curve. Um, so in that sense, I think he's hitting on something.
4: Okay, right. and a rebuttal. So yeah, uh, to Cause, preface, because there was a disagreement. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And if I can <laughs> preface this by saying that all the ups and downs I've experienced like with you and I see in your music, I love going on that ride and I, I'm totally with you. But as far as like the general human experience goes, like I think like there's plenty of cases where like experiencing the deepest grief reduces your ability to experience the highest of highs. Uh, like you can be traumatized and stuff. There's like, it's a romantic kind of uh, idea that Dumas is getting at, I think. And I don't think it like has any scientific basis i feel like we're hardwired good feelings and stuff go to them pain go away and uh Mm. having a whole ton of pain in your life does not make uh having happy times a billion times better you should try and have happy times i think and avoid
3: maybe it can give you more appreciation but i don't think it's necessary so Um, i agree with
2: you but I like your points as well. I am a romantic. I'm a total romantic.
0: And I,
1: the album, which we'll discuss plenty throughout this episode, really touches on sort of the the extremes, the uh, the interwoven feelings and all of that. So this is actually like a very appropriate quote to begin with. I mean, I would guess, Ash, that you feel that uh, to be alive is not to be flat is not to just like be in the center to be alive is to have the highs and to have the lows and that is sort of the joy and sorrow of 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 this existence
5: but you know in in this part of our history i wonder if that's possible i mean you can go to uh let's start with happy the happy child who has never known grief does that mean the child is not happy Mm -hmm. child does not understand happiness and there are other there's the other side of the extreme there are children in places like Somalia that maybe have never felt happiness and does that mean they can't feel grief they don't understand their very grief hmm. and i wonder how that comparison works plus like every writer they're fine until they pass it off in the end when he says so live and be happy hmm. well how can that then he is <laughs> assuming that that person has been very grievous has felt much grief, or what does he know about this person he's telling to live and be happy? Is he telling me that? Does he know that I felt grief or not felt grief? Because he is. When Dumas wrote these books in the 1800s, he was communicating with us here today in 2018. Well, screw you, Alexander. You have no idea whether I felt grief or not. It's just, writers do that, and you can see that in movies all the time, where they absolutely will make a point in one scene, and in the very next point, they'll just totally blow it off for the experience of the
1: movie but I mean I love
2: that paradox though you know <laughs> that <laughs> was great that was yeah very well said <laughs> Jim help me out
1: <laughs> what do you mean you love that paradox
2: oh you know like I contradict myself all the time and I think yeah. um when he when he's going on about um these these two extremes and uh, and coming out out of that saying so live and, and be happy yeah. it's like ultimately he wants to be happy yeah. but I think he's also very uh, he has got a lot of turmoil going on inside and it doesn't help that he's built his um, you know life on revenge And that's a whole other <laughs> dynamic um, I would like to not live with revenge but um,
5: but what about the pure state itself A child right, the child that is happy is, is happy or is that child not happy because it doesn't understand grief
2: well I think that's hard to that's a hard question because we're not constantly going through life thinking like oh am I happy right now am I experiencing despair like you know it's also kind of in retrospect I think when we are able to reflect and be like oh yeah that was a uh not a great time I mean I guess you feel that in the moment too but
4: so there's like there's this idea of qualia which is like our subjective state of being like what we try to communicate each o- to each other when uh when we're talking about you know whether we're happy or sad like you you obviously you empathize with other people and i think that's what uh maybe <clears throat> that's what i take from uh the dumas quote is that uh if you've had a broad experience of things then you can like you have that perspective you have a bit of uh Understanding of a thing even if uh, you know even if it doesn't mean that every moment is going to be wonderful or uh, terrible what is qualia so could you define qualia quality? are your like actual feelings your brain state or whatever uh absence are uh ideas of you know the things that we've developed to talk about it uh so uh yeah, I mean, I'm obviously not qualified to uh, oh, watch out, <laughs> have Tom. this... Uh, to discuss qualia? Yeah, to discuss qualia. No, but, you know, but. I,
1: I, no, I, I was trying to formulate a, 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 a thought like you were, and it was only half uh, formed, and now I think maybe together we can form a full thought. that and, and, and that is that... If you experience a certain type of misery, for example, like if you're different and you're ostracized, then you perhaps have a better way of understanding someone else's ostracization, even if you are not experiencing it in the same way. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you go through life always feeling like you're normal, you don't really have a lot of appreciation for somebody who doesn't feel normal. Right. Thank and you <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> what I was trying to and, and so and a little a little bit different than what the Dumas quote says, but um I do think there's something there uh you know you just it, it, it's not that someone who has never felt ostracized cannot empathize mm-hmm. it's just it's less hardwired into you when Mm -hmm. you have felt a deep sense of pain you are just more likely to be able to see someone else who's experienced that deep sense of pain and be like oh god I'm so sorry you're going through that it's not exclusive to a person who's felt it it's just kind of like I guess the uh, the benefit that you walk away with that you are more likely to have sympathy and be a kinder more empathetic person if you've experienced pain you know I want to take it to
5: one more extreme Um, now in, in this world and particularly in the Middle East. Or in 2018, there's been constant war since since 2005. So there are 14 and 15 year olds that only remember war, <clears throat> and uh, they probably have seen many in their family die. They maybe watched many in their family die, and here they are hitting their puberty and uh, young adulthood. And I wonder if they, knowing so much about grief, could even trust happiness. Mm. Will they ever truly feel happiness at this point in their lives? Maybe down the road, but right now there might be moments where they are talking and laughing with their friends or their family. But do they do they unguard themselves? Do they do they make allow themselves to be free to feel that moment? And I don't know if that's if that's possible for some of those kids. Yeah, that's adults.
2: kind of what you were getting at earlier, Rob. I it's
4: think like, that was why I had yeah. an initial visceral reaction of this yeah. is a wrong idea. This is a
5: romantic yeah. period idea that.
4: Yeah, and doesn't and, you know yeah. survive contact and again and
5: this is my problem with victor hugo because these guys are writing romanticism at a time where there were people living in the streets of france that oh boy were they not having a happy time <laughs> yeah and were there those folk that would that would ever trust their happiness uh, let's let's drink and sing tonight because tomorrow i'll be dead well how happy are you going to be tonight and <laughs> so you know and and uh And Victor Hugo, I mean, Les Miserables was one of my favorite books, and I had a great time when I read it in high school and tried to decipher it, and I totally didn't get it. (laughs) But in the end, when Marius, after he becomes a fighter for the rights of the downtrodden, ends up getting married in a... uh, ends up inheriting a great amount of money and getting married in a very lavish uh, wedding and then absolutely throwing the bums out of the wedding. Mm. Uh, And... (laughs) And victor hugo didn 't even get it himself so i don 't know if I trust the the, this, the sensibilities of, of those writer of the romantic writers and, and uh, what it's do you mean coming
2: from a place of like privilege it 's coming yeah. from a place
5: of privilege, and, and so while they pretend like they 're looking down at the down, downtrodden and hoping for them, are they? I hmm. mean they are going back to their homes at the end of the night. Did they lift anyone from the streets really? Hmm. I don't recall that, uh, hearing about that with Dumas or even Victor Hugo or even, uh, um, oh gosh, uh, Britt, uh, Dickens. Hmm. Did they ever take the point? I mean, they made a lot of money writing about those people. I wonder if they ever made it a point to help any of those people. And maybe they did. Hmm. I don't know.
1: Well, I guess what I would say is maybe this quote and this argument doesn't stand up to extreme 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 tragedy where uh, you know death and destruction and war-torn which
5: lives in this world
1: every day and it does Um, and I think that should be honored but also for the people who haven't experienced the extreme tragedy I think that in in like smaller more emotional ways this maybe applies better Mm -hmm. you know and I think that we'll probably be coming back to this quote as we go through this, because, you know, Ash, you've, you've e- experienced some emotional tumult and you've experienced some change and, and some depressive times and some anxious times. But your, yours is not a story of uh, extreme tragedy. Yours okay. is a story of, um, well, why don't you tell the story? <laughs> let's, talk oh, t- let's talk about walking on. Let's talk about walking on tightropes. Mundane
2: uh, tragedy, maybe. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean,
1: uh, look, just because it isn't as bad as some of the worst cases we've talked <laughs> about doesn't I, mean I, I, that no, it's I no idea we were
5: going there.
2: <laughs> oh, we're going there.
1: No, we're going there. <laughs> we're going there. I, I, cause it's, I mean, it's useful for perspective yeah. because, you know, I mean, it, in our own lives, when we feel sadness, it feels like the worst thing in the world. It is right. good to have a reminder sometimes yeah. that there are worse things, right. but also... Sometimes life is tough. And um, let's talk about y- your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Walk, walking on tight ropes is the culmination of a hugely transformative period of your life. Yeah, definitely. And um, it's a period of time that we've talked about a little bit. And I would love it if you could share some of it with us right sure. now.
2: Um, so I think a lot of the material on the album I wrote um, in a period of like maybe a year after um I was living in India for a few months. Um it's kind of a study abroad program and met some amazing people. Um I was just on the phone today with my friend Jimmy who was on the program. A really cu- uh, really cool sense of community that I'd really never experienced before and it was in just such a completely different environment that than one, you know, that I knew. Um and, yeah, just really rocked my world. Um, I grew up very religious, but in the Bible Belt South. Um, still love going to church. Um, but I was studying in a in a Buddhist monastery. And really all I knew about Buddhism at the time was, like, you know, you're supposed to meditate and, like, peace and things like that, which I found out not to be the case at all about Buddhism. Um, and, yeah, I think it just made me ask a lot of questions. And I think that's really the big takeaway, you know? Um,
1: Do you mind if I step in? You you found out not to be the case at all about Buddhism. Mm -hmm. What did you find?
2: Um, I mean, in terms of meditation, talk about privilege. It's like, uh, that's not a common practice of a lot of Buddhists that were in the town I was living in. Um, That's kind of reserved for, you know, the people in the monasteries with, with the teachers. And, and that's a very privileged place to be. And so, um, I was living in this, you know, interesting little bubble still. Um, but I think it made me reflect on all the bubbles that I would lived my life in, you know, and uh, kind of helped me start tearing those down a little bit, um, hopefully. But I think in general, you know, we're talking about, like, as a child, um, you don't really have a sense of, of grief, of happiness. Um, you grow up thinking that your set of conditions... Is normal. Um, and I think until you experience, you know, a different set of conditions, um, you just take that to be the truth and kind of go on with your life. And yeah, I think it just put everything in question for me, um, which.
1: It's true. Well, you yeah. called this a time of existential depression. Totally. And so what were you existentially depressed about?
2: Um, I think, like, are we talking about post
1: We're just talking about whatever the period of existential depression was. Like, what what do you believe led you there?
2: Well, I think it was that moment of, like, okay, I was so sure about things and taught to be so sure of certain things. And then my experience there um, called everything into question. And so that sense of helplessness and, like, being... Completely out of the loop (laughs) Um, Because I think we Want to feel in control. We want to feel like we know things. I think that's very natural Um, and so I was going through a period of of Trying to feel comfortable with not knowing Um, and that's something that like today I I hold to be really important Um, like if I ever catch myself or, or if anybody here catches me taking myself too seriously, please like, you know, slap me. Like, <laughs> um, cause I think that there's so much, th- everything's subjective. And I think that's what I also found um, particularly fitting about that quotation um, is that everything's relative, you know, our our stories are um, intertwined and repel and att- attract off one another. Um, and kind of, that's where the meaning comes in, like those, those connections. And,
1: um, did you feel like you were hung up on the identity of who you were and that was kind of like a blocking point for some things? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Cause you, you mentioned that, uh, <laughs> you're from Nashville, right? Mm-hmm. And to be a singer songwriter <laughs> is like a stereotype Oh, there. totally. and yeah. just kind of felt like that's not me. I mean, that's right. not, I'm not going to do that. Um, I don't know. It just feels like going to India helped like break down the walls of what you had built as your identity, which then helped you to kind of like be free to actually explore maybe who you were.
2: Yeah. And I think music was actually a big part of that. Um, like, yeah, when I first got to college, I, you know, I had my guitar and I'd play in my dorm room and, um, I started playing a lot more actually. So I was like, Oh, I guess not everybody plays guitar. And, (laughs) Not everybody's like walking around, like singing harmonies and shit like, oh.
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because you said in India, you, this was the other half of it. Like you did the personal work, but you also said you found a community there and a sense of community rather in music that you'd never really experienced before. Totally. And then here's a big prompt. It's a two-parter. Oh boy. And that the trip really broke you open. Mm. And so my question is, are these two separate observations about the trip? or are they related?
2: I think it all goes together, okay. for sure. Um, you know,
5: you had the same realization in Nashville. Um, not everybody plays guitar. <laughs> you, then you go to India and you, wait a minute, not everybody meditates?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's true, that's true. Talk about stereotypes, you know. But that's
1: brilliant right. because you, you we all wrestle with, you know. The, oh, a stereotype exists about this thing that I am, or that I do, or that I, you know, exhibit. Right. And now I'm kind of hesitant to lean into that. But that's it's like yeah. that's so destructive that thinking about that.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, and and just constantly projecting identities, you know, on the self, on others. I mean, and I think that's that's another thing that I kind of started to like grapple with uh, in my time, but yeah as far as music goes I it was the first time that I was in a place where I couldn't have my guitar you know um, I was living in a monastery you couldn't really even sing I mean we like did but um, I i had to go into the town over to like a weekend I was like I can't do this like I gotta I gotta play music and uh, so I went over to the town over with a friend of mine um, and I got a cheap guitar, and he got some drums, and we started him at our friend Cuckoo's house, um, where we, you know, would go down and like play music whenever we had breaks, and a group would go and sing, and it was just, yeah, it was a sense of community I'd never felt, um, even being in Nashville, and I think partly that was because I was really closed off growing up; I didn't really let myself go there, um, but yeah, that that feeling really. Kind of shifted things.
1: I guess what I'm getting at, and, and I'm sorry to just like harp on this India trip, but I, <laughs> what I'm getting at is it just seems like this trip fundamentally changed you and cast the mold for the person that you are here today. And it feels like this album w- was basically written because of that journey. Are those statements true?
2: I, yeah, I think so.
1: All right. I, I do have one uh, personal question. You, you talked about how the experience as a whole rocked your world. As a sheltered, closeted chick growing up in the Bible Belt oh, South, I said that? you did. <laughs> um, and I can edit it out true. if it's too much. No, that's but true. But did that trip cause a shift in terms of you know being comfortable with sexuality? Yeah,
2: definitely. Yeah. Yep. Uh,
1: and so that, that that really resonated with me because you know whenever I felt a discomfort about my own sexuality, there was a lot of rationalizing for me, and maybe mm-hmm. this resonates with you about uh, how it's separate from my identity Hmm. and as i've grown older i I, i've realized that it's like you don't really get the full picture of the person without it right it doesn't have to be the whole thing but like it's it's an important part and any part of you is going to be important so um i
2: think that's the fear too though like oh this is going to define you you know and it's like
1: 100 percent.
2: and i didn't want that to define me so i think that was partly me kind of uh I was getting in the way of myself,
1: you know. It's a weird thing. It's like when yeah. you hear yourself say it, you're like, that is a dumb thing to build my life around. Yeah. Because of course it's not going to. There's so right. many aspects to you or to anybody. But and, th- and
2: it shouldn't have to, you know. So yeah. there's this feeling of like, oh, I'm just not going to deal with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I know it well. <laughs>
5: um, uh, no, I want to I backtrack a little bit. Um, do you notice, did you notice between America and India – a difference in the way they relate to happiness and sadness hmm.
2: <coughs> that's a great question. Yeah. Um, yes, I think how to vocalize this like I think at least uh, from my experience there, I saw a lot of more like. Community-oriented living both like where I was in the monastery and in the village that I was living in Um, You know people living with their families and 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 bigger networks of people and so and like we're everything is so individualized here Um, and I think that kind of goes along with this notion of like self-identity and and knowing who you are and like really um, projecting that and I think it's maybe more fluid there, which is... Um,
5: One difference might be that uh, if you're living in a more communal and more family area, not only do you know who you are, but so do so many other people, I would imagine. Sure. Especially when it's family.
2: Right. You you're know. not... There's nowhere to hide. You yeah. know, you're not hiding yourself. Yeah. Um, it um, I mean,
5: make you feel more comfortable with yourself. Hmm.
2: Although I guess, like, there are certain aspects in which you do have to hide... You know, know hide correct. yourself even more. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it's that paradox. That they do
5: have the social social uh, rules that are quite different. Right. Did you experience the caste system at all while you were there?
2: Again, I was kind of bubbled. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But the bubble From al- afar, maybe. also changed not only, like, how you viewed yourself, but how you viewed the world around you. And this may actually tie in really well to your question, Tom. Um, you talked about the time in the monastery and, like, when you slowed down and especially when you got back to New York, <laughs> just the perspective of like how you process time and how yeah. you process priorities. Could you go into that a little bit?
2: Yeah, I think um, life really slowed down for me there. And I was also like, I was in an environment in which that was kind of, it was designed to do that. You know, I realized that's not everybody's lived experience there. Um, Cause you have to, you know, work hard and, and make a living and, and, um, you know, adult, which <laughs> starting to figure out about. But um, yeah, I think it just made me like pause and kind of, it was a time of reflection, obviously, and I was sitting with myself a lot, which was really, uh, really difficult and frustrating, you know, and starting to realize my, my block, like all the ways in which I was blocking myself. Um, so in that way, I think it really broke me open.
1: It's true. And you talked about how uh, the fast paced goal oriented society that we're in where you always have to be exhibiting a certain way, be a certain way, act a certain way, uh, greed, people constantly looking at screens, all these things that. Ego, all these things that y- you know, you just kind of lived and were a part of because yeah. that's the society you lived in, and you
2: don't think about it when you're in it. So,
1: yeah, and you know, you were in like the most concentrated place for that, New yeah. York City, because yeah. <laughs> that's where you went to college. Yeah. Is New York, um, it,
2: was a, it was like an hour and a half out of the city, but I did spend a lot of time actually in New York City too.
5: Yeah. So, so let me ask you about mindfulness and how this relates to a tune that uh, I heard you play already—the acoustic tune you guys did. Uh, you got a great hook where the two of you were harmonizing. What, <laughs> what are the words to that hook? um now i'm bound to nowhere (laughs) correct there you are uh in america this is a song about traveling in america now i'm bound to nowhere would that occur in it in india that occurs easily in india in that in their style of life
0: Mm,
2: that's another great question um maybe not because i think here we're we're uh, conditioned to think that there is a goal. There's somewhere you're trying to get. There's a person you're trying to be, like an end, you know, product yeah. of yourself or something. And like this is all just preparation for a better self in the future. And somewhere to go. Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh. Uh, so we're always looking ahead, and I think that's also what I meant about like, uh, like slowing down a little bit because there is a sense of of presence and like being where you are. And I think I, I was never even taught that concept growing up, you know? Like, just be where you are? Like, that's ridiculous, you know? I've gotta be over there, I've gotta be doing something else, I've gotta be, you know, writing that paper, like, going to practice, and um, there was no room for that, you know?
1: And and be where you are is essentially what? I mean, it's just like, enjoy the moment? Is it deeper than enjoy the moment? Um, Is it just being? I mean, is that the extent of be where you are? Ooh, I know. (laughs) There's another album coming out. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) It's going nowhere.
1: Um,
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, on a surface level, just like, yeah, appreciating, like, you know, being here, sitting at this table, like, talking to you beautiful people, like, um, but also a sense of being in that, like, feeling comfortable in yourself. Like, I think that's really hard. Um, I still struggle with that all the time. Um, But... it.
1: kind of two-part question uh that relates to that what was your faith and relationship to religion like before this trip Mm. and did this trip affect that
2: Mm. um that's loaded (laughs) 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 Uh, (laughs) uh, mom and dad you can tune out now no I'm just kidding um so growing up I think like uh I grew up going to church Um, And I was all about it. Like, I think that was the way that I channeled my spirituality Um, and uh, You know, I love singing hymns and just like being in a beautiful room Full of people. It's like again that sense of community that I think I was always like searching for Um, and Was always drawn to these concepts of like ritual and devotion and um, like a higher something Um, and that the, I think the only thing that changed was, uh, the vocabulary maybe, um, when I was studying Buddhism, um, there are similar narratives, I think, across religions, across, um, cultures, uh, and it comes down to the words that we use, I think. Um, and obviously those have meaning, and deeper concepts, but um, I think they're all stories, you know, and I think you can see one story through the lens of another and find a lot of similarities. Um, That's another thing is I I just think that we're conditioned to see, to be critical, to be critical thinkers, to see the, uh, like, the differences um, more than the similarities. and I think that's just messed up.
1: <laughs> Did you have something to add to that? Because you've
5: no, I, you know, I was just thinking about how the creation stories from uh, different uh, culture to different culture have so many similarities in that in that very way. And, and uh, yeah, even the Bible. I mean, the first two correct. chapters
2: in the Bible are two different creation stories. Yeah. So how are you to take that literally?
5: Yeah. Like,
1: well, I mean. I'm going to talk about this a little bit in the outro, but, you know, when you and I met earlier this year at a show, we, we only talked for a little bit, but, yeah. like, it, 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 it was good. Like, I felt, oh, yeah. I felt like a, a good connection there. And one thing we've never discussed, but uh, I've learned in this, you know, preparing for this interview that we have overlap on is viewing life as a narrative. Mm. And that seems to be, like, something that you have really, like, integrated into a lot of aspects of your life. Could you kind of go into that a little bit?
2: Totally. Um, I think we all have stories and I think we all are like stories, you know, we come to, um, think of our lives in a certain way, a certain trajectory. Um, I mean, the count of Monte Cristo is a story. Like I've uh, started to see religions as stories, you know, they, they change, um, and you know how they, uh, are perceived and, um, you know, are incorporated into society and culture. But, yeah, I think we're all just interweaving stories. I I don't know. Do you want to expound on that?
5: That's a great, great line.
1: It's true. I mean, uh, I I have friends who really don't like this thing that I do, and that is... uh, when there's like different people in my life, and like I'm really fascinated by this new person I've met, or <laughs> this new aspect, or this kind of ongoing drama, I refer to them as storylines. Mm. It's like 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 I'm really liking the Ash <laughs> Pal. I'm really liking the Ash Pal storyline right now. Well, I have a storyline with your mother, Emily. I'm I really liking the line. Kathy Studden storyline. We won't mom. go too deep into it, but but that's like an ideal example of what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Um, I, I, at the same show, I met Ash. I met Emily's mother. And Emily's mother and I talked for an hour and a half about Emily's mother's dating life. And she grilled me a little bit, and I grilled her a little bit, and w- I learned about the guy she was seeing. And uh, from that, we've uh, we've we become Facebook friends. And I am really loving the Kathy Studen storyline. She's
3: <laughs> amazing, and her life <laughs> is a great story.
1: Exactly, it is. And I think the criticism that some friends of mine would would give to me on doing that is that it sort of diminishes like the fullness of a person's life and existence to just say it's a storyline. And, and I get that, but that's not my intent. You know, my, my intent is like, it's fa- Storylines are fascinating. Oh, yeah. that's, like, that's what the world and, is. You know,
5: Jim, you're fascinating to watch when you're doing, it. I've, I've brought it up before you met that one young <laughs> musician, uh, in the lobby upstairs and, uh, this kid, I was over, uh, it was, it was about gigs. It was about this and that it was all business. And I just, I was over the conversation and, uh, Jim steps in and I think, Oh, I'm going to hand him off. And next thing I know, Jim is getting stuff from this kid that, oh, my God, well, this kid is really deep. <laughs> and these guys are having a real conversation. Leave I was willing to, to walk out of it. But Jim is able to walk in and strike up a, uh, an informative conversation, an informative relationship <laughs> at the drop of a hat. It's the most incredible thing to watch.
1: I think that we are like n- not taught to do that. And I and I think that that's a problem. I think uh, maybe not everybody's interested in getting over to his business or whatever. And to me, it's not even really like business. No, it's that's just not what it it's, is. It's connection, you know? Yeah. It's relating. And and I think that we're we're taught that like community and connection happens in only very narrow ways. Mm-hmm. It happens at church, right. you know. It happens in your immediate family. And I just I, I fundamentally disagree that you can't have a really cool connection with a stranger.
2: The English language is, is such a noun based language you know and i think that um stories imply like motion and more like verbs and action and so i think that it's a more like full way of seeing a, as a human not as like these nouns or these descriptors but like as a journey you know like how did you get here like how are we all sitting at the same table that's crazy you know
1: and and when you really look at it and you and you zoom out and you and you think about it and you trace it Sometimes it's like the weirdest thing. You met a person one day at one point and then all of a sudden, 20 steps later, you're living in the Bay Area. Yeah. You know, you're and we can get into how (laughs) you you two met. Uh, There's going to be a big reveal in this storyline in a minute here. But um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. We haven't (laughs) even. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Before we leave the topic behind, um, I just think that life as a story is the most interesting way and really the only way to look at it. Mm -hmm. I I journal daily and um, it brings me great joy to do that. Yeah. You know, it's just because like drawing the connections and stuff and, and appreciating how you meet someone 12 years ago at a random show that you went to and that moment introduced you to another person and then another person. And all of a sudden you're in this place that you can't believe you're at and you can trace it back to a little moment, 12 years ago what a trip. Yeah. And that's life. That's, that's, that's life. And if you, it's a big trip. And I can see, and I can see where life can feel, uh, pointless and life. You can feel, uh, like a nihilist. And I, I can see where all those sort of like negative or pessimistic ways of looking at life pop up when you don't frame it as this remarkable tapestry of seven billion storylines, all overlapping and interweaving. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating.
2: And you said it. I mean, it it is an, another frame. Like, and you can choose how you look at life and look at the situation. Um, I think I've had some of the best conversations recently with Lyft drivers and like fellow bartenders at you know places because, like what you're saying earlier, you kind of don't have that. That backdrop, um, it's like your points are just meeting on the tapestry, and so like there's so much there um,
1: to pull from. and And not everyone is gonna become your best friend, yeah, and you may even have a bad experience, but that's okay. Cause it's still a storyline yeah. and like the, <laughs> the bad experience <laughs> is still going to be interesting and, <laughs> and making a new close friend. That's interesting too. Yeah. Or maybe just picking up like a little slice of life that you hadn't done. Anyway, I don't need to justify why I talk to strangers, but yeah. um, <laughs> it seems think, like you do the same.
2: I think it's also like an act of listening, you know? And I think that's like kind of job going,
3: is talking to strangers. It's true.
2: <laughs> yeah. So you're good at it. You're good. I, thank you. Yeah. And you're good. And you're good. At it. That's how I met. Rob. It, foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I tell people, I, I get paid to listen to people and pour them beer. It's a pretty good deal.
1: You really got to just break down every relationship you've had to fully appreciate how life is. Mine all would. these people, you know, nothing wrong with video games, but like all these people who are sitting inside like playing <laughs> virtual life, like look at what you can do, people. <laughs> look at this. It's Take a physical manifestation. Um, <laughs> anyway, life's a storyline. It's good. <laughs> any I, any other thoughts that. on that whole situation? Life is narrative.
2: I just, I love that you see life that way. I love that.
1: And I love that you do the same. <laughs> uh, boy, you describe the year that followed, and now a real uplifting one. You describe the year that followed your trip to India as the lowest of your life so far. Yeah. <laughs> She's back <laughs> away gotta from the water.
3: She's got to prepare.
1: Well, I think we're going high on this one. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> it was well, it's literary tool, Tom. Uh, I said one thing, but then it was another thing. <laughs> oh, this is <laughs> yeah. we're back to the comparison. <laughs> so
5: you were way
1: low uh, just after post India.
2: Just so that I could, you know, bounce back up. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because she knew that'd make a good storyline. Um, <laughs> I was just in it for the story. And you you know this. We all know this. You learn a lot during these periods. You learn the most, I think, during these periods if you're able to survive them.
2: I, yeah, I think after the fact, though.
1: Yeah. Like, well, that, that's part of surviving. For sure. Yeah. 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 Only You only get to say you survived it. After the fact. That's true. So is there anything that you can share that that you learned during that dark time? Because what you learned during that dark time led to the album that we yeah. will eventually discuss. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. We're getting there.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we pretty yeah. much are discussing it right now, but
2: yeah. You know. I th- yeah. I mean, I think, you know, having this experience that like called everything in my life into question, coming back um, into the same bubble that, I had had been in but it was like I was in the same place But everything looked different Uh, everything seemed different and I think a lot of things were like kind of changing in my life personally too like I was kind of after the fact dealing with with a breakup and also coming to terms with like my sexuality and my parents were getting a divorce and like I was back in school and had kind of like realized how much of a bubble that was. And um, yeah, I felt like I was just kind of like up against uh, like everything in my life at that point, you know, I was meeting everything with tension Um, and definitely not seeing the (laughs) <laughs> the beauty and those storylines um just everything like i guess was unfamiliar that should be familiar you know um and that's like a very unsettling feeling
1: i want to go into the poetry of your song or of your album title um because i think that it's a really beautiful visual but I just want to say something that I heard a drag queen say once that I really like about sexuality. And it's uh, we spend the first half of our lives, uh, the non-straights, uh, <laughs> not wanting to tell anybody that we're gay. And then we spend the second half of our lives wanting to tell everybody that we're gay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs>
3: I love that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Walking on Tightropes is the name of the album. And there's some poetry in that title. Could you kind of go into that a little mm. bit?
2: Um, I think... A tightrope not only implies, like, a height from which you can fall, but there's this gentle act of walking across it. Like, it's a very, um, like, intentional and precarious act. Um, And, yeah, I think it was an image that really, like, captured kind of how I was feeling at the time. Um, And, like, being caught between those extremes those lows and the highs and um, kind of bouncing off everything, like being suspended in the air There's something about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a dangerous, chaotic world, yeah. you know, and you have to, you have to walk on this thing and you're being pulled in the good and the bad and yeah. it's really, you really just in, if you get pulled to one way or the other, you're going to fall off. And that, that's kind of what I, I took away from it. Mm. Uh, you talk about natural contradictions in life that you enjoy. <laughs> Here we uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Um, do you have anything else to say about that album and the messages found within it or anything that feels really poignant to you now? It's been two years since you recorded that album? Yeah. Yeah. I
2: think so. Um, maybe even three. Yeah, I think I, I released it about a year after. Yeah. Um, but just, yeah. I think you kind of said it earlier about these contradictory feelings of loss and joy and like how those relate to each other and how those um go together and I think that like I see so much beauty in that time that I said was the lowest of my lows you know I mean uh I would do it again It's maybe a weird way to put it but like I don't want to be here now without it you know, because well, I think that,
1: and you wouldn't do. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I, isn't isn't that a funny thing? It's like you you would never trade what you learned from the tragedy. You hated mm. experiencing the tragedy. Oh, yeah. Some days you it probably sucks will, when you're going through it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But y- you would never not go through it because you yeah. wouldn't have the experience you have now, and and hopefully you feel more peace in your own shoes than you did prior to it. I do. I yeah. do. And and that's fascinating. But I think a juicier storyline would be: How did you meet your drummer? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, well, I, I'm a bartender. Yes. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, w- I had this cute regular, um, come in every, like, every day you were open. No, per- just pretty kidding. much actually. Just and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to read people. So I just like, didn't know what was I going on. I was trying on. to
3: flirt with her for at least two months.
2: I had no idea. Like, at, at least.
3: God, if she I was, was listening to this right up.
1: now, I would be so titillated by that reveal right there. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. But she's the drummer.
3: <laughs> she she is. But, she's uh, my but
1: wait, there's more. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, the so, mean,
3: we're getting ahead yeah. of ourselves. No, no, that's good. Yeah.
1: So you were trying to flirt with this person. I was
3: really trying to flirt with her. She was not... I don't, I don't know. I was like, she must have a girlfriend or something. <laughs> and um, I was just too scared to be like, hey, because I went there all the time. I actually thought her friend
2: was flirting with me.
3: Because she would be like, if you don't talk to her, like, I'm going to, we're going to make this happen, you know? Yeah. So I just, you know, drank like two beers and I wrote my number on a coaster and... Now she's my girlfriend. <laughs> um, and then they had been playing music for a while. And then I met Rob, which I wouldn't know Rob if I didn't know Ash. And now we're here.
1: What a storyline. Yeah, yeah. It's the amazing. Ro- the romantic partnership and also the creative partnership. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it,
3: which works really well. <laughs> yeah. I never pictured myself having a partner that was that I would like really be able to be in a bandwidth that yeah. would work out like so well
1: i'd like a reflection from the three of you because you have another project as well called postage this band's mission statement is in an age where human contact has <laughs> collapsed into a stream of imbecilic posts one improbably attractive power trio gives them the finger
3: ash definitely wrote that right uh, no. do you do Rob, do you, do you, that? Do you have anything
1: that. to add to that
2: I think that's great.
1: Yeah, I I'd like to
5: add right off the bat. Isn't that what we've been talking about all night?
4: I love it. (laughs) This is like, this is a great revelation for me too. Because maybe we should slightly rewrite part of that, but like and incorporate some of this like storyline, like making actual connections with people and letting our lives move in parallel for a little bit, rather than you know living uh, out there with some fake version of yourself, all your posts. So that's. That is what I thought of as post age and stuff. And then also it sounds like postage and we can do cute letter motifs and (laughs) stuff.
1: (laughs) Well, before we conclude then, is there anything that we left out that we'd want to talk about our friend Ash Powell? This might be more of a more of the other people uh, at the table. So
4: the first time I heard Ash play, uh, it inspired me to write a song. Later, which you'll might hear on a post stage record at some point. It's called "I Heard the Muse," and uh, I just feel like I think I was coming from a, a similar couple down uh, years. I had had my father passed away. I broke up with a long term girlfriend, and I was just in a very you know depressed place. And I think what a lot of what she was talking about uh really resonated with me, a lot of the stuff that ended up on walking on tight ropes. Uh, and it was just like like what you were talking about when, you know, you h- hear somebody and recognize that they think about something in the same way that you do. And I'm just so very glad that I've gotten to uh have my story go in parallel with yours for these past few months, whatever it's been. <laughs> like just, just like yesterday. So it does. thanks, Ash.
1: Oh, Emily Studn. <laughs> and you don't have to say anything if you don't want to. But
3: <sighs> I don't know what to say because now I'm thinking of all the she things
2: has me, so. <laughs> she has to live with me. She has to live with me.
3: Living with her is a dream.
1: That's true. <gasps> she will, and as a result, then she gets to have the highs and the lows of the Ask Pal experience.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, she gets them all. <laughs> You're great. I've,
1: You're
3: such a great human. Well,
2: we can both be frustrating at times.
3: But that's why we work. It's true. Probably. It's true. I don't
2: know.
1: Yeah. I mean what you know, has your life gotten better since you moved? <laughs> no, it's not. It's
3: not at all. No, yeah. Um Thanks for that promise. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, my life has <laughs> changed a lot uh yeah. since that's meeting fine. Ash
1: yeah she i used- like the initial answer of honestly no it's not, it's not <laughs> yeah. wild like it's really like, an unexpected like really an unexpected story <laughs> yeah. of turn hey, right plot there twist. yeah, yeah exactly horrible <laughs> yeah. all about those country the episodes usually end on a high note like oh yeah before i met ash life was in black and white now it is in color not emily
3: actually yeah um my life has gotten a lot better in a lot of ways i wasn't Playing actually a lot of music, um, and Ash inspired me. I was kind of cool. just working all the time. Uh, you really pushed me in a good way, you pushed me to sing more, which I really like to do. But you makes me great. feel vulnerable sometimes. Um, but just and she sees life actually a lot different than me, and we're we're quite different. But I love that so much because it brings just. I just love you (laughs) and uh, you too, Rob, and they both are so positive and I'm pretty extroverted. Um, So I think that people uh, like, you know, Libby and stuff like that, people see us as like super happy and stuff like that. Um, And I am really happy, but I can also feel a lot of anxiety as this life is kind of terrifying, um, yet beautiful highs and lows. (laughs) Um, but I couldn't be happier, Uh, and now I'm in five bands, which I feel like I probably even wouldn't be if I didn't have you. So, thank you.
2: Yeah, I mean, you did it. You
3: you pushed me, but I did do it.
1: (laughs) Well, we get we we get a lot of inquiries to appear on this show, and in February, uh, Emily sent me one for Ash Pal Music. And uh, I was like, yeah, we'll get to it eventually. <laughs> um, I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't say that. <laughs> hey, <Steve. laughs> but then yeah. you and I met like last month, I think it was. And yeah. uh, I saw you perform for the first time and we talked for the first time and I was like, oh, we have got to get this person on the show like <laughs> right away. Um, yeah, like, to talk. And and here we are, you know, and I mean, there's just they basically said it, but I'll say it in my own way. There's there's just like a gentle magic to you and to the music that you make. And I'm just like really thrilled that we got to document that here tonight. So. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for being here with Thank us tonight. You Thank you guys for
3: doing yeah. what you. you do and yeah. supporting yeah. the local music scene. Big time.
1: That's all we know how to do. This is us. Thank goodness. It's a gas. <laughs> yeah, we love it. <laughs> <laughs> what else would we be doing? Yeah, really. Sitting at home? Tuesday There's no storyline there. Yeah, <laughs> <video> <laughs> <games? This> is, <laughs> you know what I Do you know what enemy. a cultivator of storyline this show is? <laughs> <laughs> Look at this. True. Three new characters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one one return character. <laughs> and uh, and so on and so forth. Anyway, there I go being indulgent. This has been a thrill. Thank you so yeah, much for okay. joining us. And now, the music of Ash Powell.
2: Oh, oh. Let's, let's get ready to play. Let's do it.
1: <laughs> Stick around and check it out. <laughs> Is next. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. So nice. <laughs>
6: in my grandparents' backyard Climbed just high enough to see those car park signs and every night the hills of Tennessee tuck me in I've been a few places since then I've been a few places since then No, I still remember day Papa left us He just never woke up on Easter Day and I often think about If he'd come back around All the questions that he'd ask And what I'd say El Cerrito broke my heart Mississippi got me drunk, New York was never quite home, it was a start. Now I'm bound